Welcome back to the Tapes Archive podcast, where we release interviews that have never been heard before. In this episode, we have Van Halen's Diamond David Lee Roth. At the time of this interview in December 1985, Roth was 31 years old and only months away from no longer being in Van Halen. In the interview, Roth talks about the future of Van Halen, his need for attention, whether he's a bad role model, and what he wants on his tombstone. And in a Tapes Archive exclusive, Mr. Roth busts into an impromptu freestyle rap. The interview is conducted by a new Tapes Archive contributor, award-winning legendary entertainment journalist, screenwriter, producer, and author, Ethley Ann Vare. For decades, Ethley ruled musical taste and celebrity gossip in newspapers, magazines, and TV. Her top 10 syndicated column, Rock On, ran in 1,700 newspapers worldwide. She's interviewed A-list movie celebrities like Johnny Depp and Nicolas Cage and rock royalty like Ozzy Osbourne and David Lee Roth. She wrote for Billboard, Daily Variety, and The Hollywood Reporter. She also reviewed rock concerts and albums for The New York Times and discussed rock stars on The Gossip Show. Ms. Vare has more accomplishments than we have time to say here so I will put a link in the description to her website. We're honored that she is allowing us to share some of her unpublished historical interviews with all of you. Please note this interview starts right after Roth is asked the question about his mentors. Thanks for tuning in and now it's time to open the vault. There's two ways to approach transcending a mentor. What most people choose is the easy way out. They see Joe win the race in red shorts and they go out and buy red shorts. You can follow in footsteps, but you must decide. Were you trying to achieve what your mentor was trying to achieve? Or are you trying to achieve what he already had done? That's where most people run into the wall. They try and achieve what's already been done rather than what your mentor was hoping for or reaching for. Also, most bands don't see the light at the end of the tunnel until the light is near and they figure, oh my, I can't play this original music. I can't play this way. I'm, I'm still broke. I still don't have any audience. What if Mozart said that? What if Freud said that? Isn't there anyone that you'd care to slag? <laughs> <laughs> well, if Boy George is genuinely waking up with the house on fire, you can bet Boy Dave set the blaze. <laughs> well, you promise me you haven't already used that line, please. I haven't used it. Okay. Don't use it again. <laughs> um, so, if that's a, oh yeah, the combination billboard and rock stuff would be a lot of rumors going around about Eddie wanting to leave the band, wanting to do something different, refuses to tour anymore, might not even want to make another record. What you know? What's the official? What's the official scam on that? What is drama without conflict? How can you have a resolve if something doesn't go wrong? How can you have National Enquirer without Eddie and Val? <laughs> I have always had, since the first day with this band 11 years ago, I have always had the feeling that one day I would wake up in a cold hotel and all the rooms would be vacated and I'd be stuck with an empty telephone and a busy signal. <laughs> the first day, nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. We do our own things, like the EP or Edward for his movies and stuff. But we are, are afforded more time now because of our success. Band's been multi-platinum for six, seven years. We don't have to put out a record every 10 months now. It's neither justified or is it wanted. 
obviously everyone had expected that 1984 would go number one at second week out and would stay there all year and it never did was that an ego blow who would you rather find at the dinner table unexpectedly michael jackson or me who would you rather have come to the door for your daughter michael jackson or me (laughs) playing the charts is racing ponies we don't race ponies we race battleships we float the whole record Van Halen is the world's most popular unknown band. It's the world's most famous, infamous band. That's not by device. It just happens. Playboy left us out of their polls this year. How do you leave Edward Van Halen out of the poll? Why have we never been on the cover of Rolling Stone? You never have been on the cover? No. There's still a kind of... Rolling Stone's review of your first album called it something like Neanderthals banging on garbage can lids. I like the image. I'm not sure I like the message. I'll work that into the next video. (laughs) You're imagining it with me, aren't you? Wouldn't that be colorful? (laughs) 2001 in there, but it's never true. Yeah, that'll move another 28,000 units. That's payback. (laughs) That's a good one. I'll just tell the press from now on. I just take Rolling Stone reviews and set them to music. You can play that game. You know, somebody asked me, I said, Dave, how tough is it to edit and and be a director of these videos? I said, I'll show you. We were watching the football game, so we turned it off, turned off the sound and put Black Sabbath on the stereo, and it made perfect sense. (laughs) My road manager walked in and said, where can I buy that? (laughs) Told him it's the new Black Sabbath, and he walked out believing me, man, fumbling for change in his pocket. (laughs) When Jump went number one as a single, a lot of industry people would say that you shouldn't want a pop single, you know, that it could do you more harm than good to be number one on the pop charts. Everything Van Halen does, myself in particular, is in addition to, not instead of. Whatever music we come up with new is in addition to what we have before. We're not abandoning ship in hopes of a faster vehicle. There's more to life than just increasing its speed. Want to try something new? Okay, if you can't do that in rock and roll, and go back to insurance. The kind of music that we like to play, something that comes from the heart. Our hearts haven't changed. It's only the technique. It's only what's beneath the fingertips, not what's in the fingertips. People are going to hear that, whatever instrument you play, whatever format you take. Don't you think that if Van Halen truly wanted to sell out and play pop music, that Edward and Alex can play just as well as anybody on the R&B charts or the country charts? that we could fake it along with a producer like Templeman and all of the other ancillary characters that we carry with us. Don't you think we could fake you out at least for two albums? Um, we definitely have to talk about girls. In the last story we did about you, you were going on and on how you really see yourself as a one-man woman, and you look forward to the day you're going to settle down. Why take a chance? Well, I found a girl was a one-man woman, but I wasn't the man. <laughs> it comes and goes. I was very close to a girl that I went with to New Guinea, and she makes her living back in New York. So here I am for a period of time. It's no what telling. What did she make her living at? She was a model, of course. <laughs> that, is that your type? Are you, are no, you actually, I guess not. Together? Actually, I guess not. I'm not sure what I'm looking for, but I do a lot of things. I stay real busy, and I get involved in a lot of different places. You know, we're here in Barney's Beanery. I was speaking to somebody. I said, yeah, I'll meet you at Barney's. This is when she says, well, I'll meet you at Trump's. <laughs> I don't even know where it is. I says, no, I'll meet you at Barney's. How's that? You know, she's like, 
run away for a second. You know, go both ways. I have a tuxedo. It's cut by Jack the Ripper from Rio de Janeiro. You know? <laughs> so I go both. I do both ways. And you got to have somebody who's very flexible that way. And somebody who's got a lot of energy that way. And uh, I just haven't really met it in my part of the entertainment industry so far. So I spend a lot of time by myself. I socialize all the time. Got a lot of friends, see a lot of people. But as far as a soulmate, perhaps I'm megalomania. Is that is that a correct word? I don't know that that would be the, more of the problem. It's like you've got such a wonderful line of rap. I mean, your persona is so out there, and it's so larger than life, and it's so much a barrier between you and the world. I should think it must be hard for someone to get to know you and not David Lee. I'm not sure. There's tremendous division. There's such a strong alienation between public Dave and private Dave. I'm very enthusiastic. Whatever I do, wherever it is, go. Very enthusiastic. Yeah, I mean, I feel I'm seeing just public Dave. I mean, you've got your, your lines, your rap. It's very good. It's very together. But I'm not getting behind anything, and I probably never will, you know, because I probably won't get a chance to see you other than in a working situation. But I wonder how far that extends into your personal life, too. The only other side that you probably won't see is a very quiet side. When I'm off by myself, that's almost meditative. But I'm genuinely like this nine times out of ten. And I can see where that would be a distraction. Always been this way. Always been kind of off on my own. You know, so it's nothing new. I need a lot of attention. Got to have a lot of attention from the audience, you know, from everybody. And I can see where that would be a distraction. The world is truly a stage for me. If I was truly lonely, I'd call it a hazard. But I don't find myself lonely. I, I talk to myself a lot, but I'm articulate and a great listener. <laughs> Do you find most of your friends are also in the music business? Or None of my friends are in the music business. One or two, that's it. Because I find I don't have a lot to talk about to people that don't know what the six next hot bands coming out of Minneapolis are going to be. You know, we don't have a lot of lines of communication. I'm critical of other bands, other musicians, anything that's to do with music like that. I like to pick it apart. I'm very analytical in my, my perceptions. Most musicians, I don't think, are so analytical, not even very perceptive. So, you know, it's hard for me to talk shop because I'll watch a video and apart from just enjoying it for what it is, the second time I see it, I'll go, oh, that's interesting lighting. I like that editing. Hey, there, that's a colorful frame. What do you think he was trying to say there? I think this has any bearing on the sign? Most musicians say bearing. You mean real, babe? Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I look at it a little more technically sometimes, and that, and that will separate me socially. I'm always reaching for something. No, he's looking for an answer. Maybe you got the answer. Maybe the answer's in a video. <laughs> you know, I'll supply the question. <laughs> People feel like I'm being overly aggressive. So I ask a lot of questions. I'm interested. I'm curious. I'm motherfucking fascinated, man. And people feel like I'm just clawing. And I am. I think that comes out in my interviews. It comes out when I'm on TV or on the stage. It's easier when I'm separated from you by a piece of glass on your TV set. 
I'm not actually there. And when you read it on a paper, piece of paper, I'm not actually there. Live, hit the bounce, smash, slam, egg, shit, Jenny Walker, the all-stars, it's shotgun. I have the feeling that you never worked as a DJ, even though you probably do a good job of it. I was never a DJ. I'd like to try my hand at a DJ. I was wondering what jobs you had before you started earning a living in music. I said, hip, bop, hip, bop, hip, bop. I'm the dude in the back of the burger shop. Don't laugh at me because I'm in back or I'll blow my nose in your Big Mac. Hold the pickles. Keep the lettuce. Ain't no way you can't upset us, baby. We got the burgers, honey. I own the bun and the shake and sugar. Have a little bit of fun. And now you like it, don't you? Try it twice and settle, baby, for a double fry. <laughs> <laughs> but no, we're going to talk about odd, odd and strange jobs as a, as a youthful person. I shoveled shit. <laughs> <laughs> I shoveled shit at Eaton Canyon Stables down in Pasadena for about four and a half years. Do you right? I did then, and that's when I was twelve and a half. It was my first job. It's basically when we came to Los Angeles, you know, seventh grade, junior high school. I worked there for about four and a half years, worked at the horse shows as a groom, as a warm-up kid, you know, rode in a few shows like that. And between that time and other, I had I worked at a clothing store. I was a night janitor in several buildings. I got a job as a cleanup boy in surgery at a hospital. And uh, then from there, I was in the band. I was making the band. The band was paying, you know. So, yeah, you were like 18 when the band started. Uh huh. Yeah. I remember working at the hospital. I won't tell you that story. <laughs> That's where I developed my bedside manner, the one I use on stage. Now you have got to have tons of money. But uh, do you worry about long term investments and do you have wise Do you manage your own money or do you have a business manager? I manage my own money. What sort of investments do you choose? Oh, all the basics, man, real estate and all the proper things, you know. I have a lot of money stashed in terms of investments, but I also keep a large amount for my adventures, for the education I never had. And I never really had an education except for school. I could tell you I spent this many thousands of dollars at Yale, or I can tell you about the places I would otherwise read about. What other places do you still want to hit that you haven't done yet? Next trip might be to Ecuador. They say there's a temple up there, up above the tree line in the highland jungles. Maybe we'll go there. Maybe we'll go to Rwanda, where you can see the last of the real mountain gorillas. You build a blind up in a tree and wait for four days. See the last of your predecessors. Yeah, marking back to, to criticism again, a lot of times... You take a lot of flag, I think, for being a bad role model, you know, saying she shouldn't be up there telling kids to get drunk, steal the family car and get some girl pregnant. You know, that that's not what a teenager should be hearing. How would you defend that? Do you think my message is not one of get drunk, get stoned. My message is not one of throw it all to the wind. My message is one of a very positive, carefree attitude. And I tend to think that people listen to Van Halen music and hear the work and the heart that was put into that. And they know from seeing the show and from listening to records that you can't get stoned all the time and do that. My mom always said I'd be an example. <laughs> I sell people smiles. I sell big smiles. Here, have one. Yeah, it looks good on you. 
for billboard side, we should probably get, is there any parameter, time parameter as far as a, a, another Van Halen project, tour, album, etc.? I have no idea. We're going to start arguing again in the middle of January, and who knows where that will take us. I've heard some great, great music coming out of Ed's studio, and I look forward to the next album. I love being a lead singer in a rock and roll band. It's the greatest. I've seen so many movie stars staring at the stage. They don't want to meet me. They all want to be rock stars. <laughs> so what's the group you seem really like? Like, how could you give a sort of an R-rated version of what it's really like, what the backstage scene is like? It's ugly. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> backstage Van Halen is a myriad of fantasies. Everybody's got their own. Some of the band participates. Doesn't participate. I do. <laughs> I am Toastmaster General for the Immoral Majority. You know our motto. Ah, uh, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Sit down, Waldo. So that came out so clever. I was a little annoyed at the girls in the bikinis on the tabletops, but everything else I thought. Is that a teacher fantasy or what? We make cartoons. Girl, you know. Sure, I how, noticed. How many people out there are a girl, and some of us don't like seeing those little eroticized bodies <laughs> wiggling their new bile tits in our faces. You know, if I were 18 again, I might not mind so much. We love it. We hired these 10-year-olds to act as us, you know, the junior Van Halen's and said we couldn't drag them from the set. I thought for sure the social workers were going to go through the church ceiling. <laughs> they were in admiration as well. It's our casting ability. How many kids <laughs> did you audition to, to make them? For each one of these videos, Hot for Teacher and for California Girls, we probably went through between five and 700 people total for each set. And in Hot for Teacher, we probably used 80 characters, extras, as well as principals. You know. That's a long, long, long process, and I don't know how we arrived at the formula. But one of the formulas between Pete and I is to find a very distinguishable cast some people whose personalities, whose background and potential future is immediately graspable <laughs> before they even say a word. It's cartoons. They're not animated, not, you know, not cellular animation. All the frames are tilted. They're all bent a little bit. It's just our own little perspective on what I guess is our own little planet. People tell me all the time, Dave, you live in your own little world. I tell them, well, at least they know me there. <laughs> hey, uh, have you ever said what you want on your tombstone? What what your epitaph will be? Oh, man, I've made a lot of jokes about what I say on my tombstone. How about, here, folks, have one on me. I told you I didn't feel well. How about, hello, I'm not home, but if you leave a message... <laughs> I like that. Do you have an answering machine? No. no. Do you hate them? Do you leave ridiculous messages on other people's answering machines? No, no, I don't have an answering machine. I heard a good one about answering. Have your machine call my machine, and I forget. Have your machine call my machine, and they'll get together for something. Most people say, is, have your machine call my machine, and we'll do lunch. But that's just typical. We'll record lunch. <laughs> no, that's the music business joke. How many music business people does it take to put in a light bulb? Don't worry, call me. We'll have lunch. We'll talk. 
music business people i love the music business i want the cotton club back i want you know i want the glamour man i like the tinsel and the spangle and the late night noise and sheen and like in cotton club the movie have you seen it yeah in the movie there's a thing where they take richard geary's a trumpet player in a shit for all band you know they're gonna make him a gangster movie star and it cuts to the director and the producer and whatever backstage in hollywood they're watching his uh screen test you know in an empty room and he goes well can he move now one says well aj can't really move i really think he stinks yeah but i like him says aj me too says the other guy i think he's wonderful you know well can he sing well he's got a voice like rusty pipes on january morning man yeah i think he's lousy yeah but i kind of like the way he sounds me too aj <laughs> Just goes, <laughs> kind of miss living in hollywood though i like hollywood yeah I like the noise, man. Is my cigarettes over there? Here they are. You had a barley, too. Do you still have it? I have it, but I haven't rid it in a year. But it's such a macho item. You know, when somebody says, do you ride? You say, yeah. Of course, the next question is, what kind of bike do you have? We say Harley. Da da. Twelve hundred is. Yeah, yeah. You know, chopped and lowered and the whole thing. I'm afraid to ride it because I don't want to bust my pins. I got a little cut in my foot and I'm down for three weeks. I dropped the Harley once at 20 miles an hour and didn't walk right for a month. You know, I don't want to do an Isidore Duncan, you know, <laughs> oh, yank my head off with, I can still picture with a silk that. scarf. You know? I can still picture that scene. You know, yet is such a macho symbol. Should anyone ever ask me, ask me, kind of bike do you ride? What kind of bike are you? Harley Davis. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see the reaction. There you go. What kind of car do you drive? I have a, a Mercedes Benz. Big black Mercedes with a golden red skull and crossbones on the hood with fire coming out of the eyes and a 24 karat gold leaf too. And I have a 1951 Mercury Lowrider that we built. And it's like it's just high enough to slip a pack of cool cigarettes under the back fender in the asphalt. You know, I'm built for comfort, not for speed. I figure if I can't cross my legs, car's too small. How tall are you? Six feet. And you weigh what? 160 pounds. You ever see that thing where Steve Martin gets out of the car, the cop pulls him over because he thinks he's drunk? says, all right, walk a straight line. Walks a straight line. He says, all right, now touch your nose without, keep your eyes closed and touch your nose. Touches his nose. He says, now do a handstand. Does a handstand. He says, now do a one-arm handstand. Does a one-arm handstand. He says, a backflip with a kip. <laughs> Does a backflip with a kip. He says, oh, I guess you're all right. He gets back in the car. <laughs> I like Steve Martin. I haven't seen his latest stuff. Last thing I saw was Amadeus. I want to see them. With the star of Animal House <laughs> as Mozart. <laughs> That's did you before Well, I think the fact that the star of Animal House was Mozart is an interesting parable of our time right there. <laughs> I saw Johnny Dangerously last night. Is any good? Better than I thought it would be. It's kind of like um, Airplane or Top Secret. It spoofs itself. That's a whole new slew of flicks. What's the average budget for a flick like that? Five million bucks? Average movie, seven million. That's is it? Average. Anything under that is called a low-budget movie. Really? It's just offered me a, a low-budget flick. Uh, I don't want to go into that. <laughs> we'll put it off the tape if you want. No, I'm sorry. 
you know, a friend of mine was a co-producer of a film that was budgeted like six million. And so far in general release, they did like 14 and a half million box office. And now it's going into video cassette. And he literally gets to take that money and put it in his pocket. Video. It's the wave of the future. Everybody wants it in the homes, putting all the porno theaters out of business. Well, anything else? Um, so who's going to remember you 500 years from now? History does not record our achievements ever, really. They record your spirit. That's what the last, the last little bit about Mozart was. The last movie was certainly not about his achievements. It was about his personality. And they chose the star of Animal House. <laughs> so history records your spirit. Not a thing that you do will reach such credit as the spirit that you lived with. And that's where I come from. Do so you think your spirit is going to go down in history? I think so. I think so. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tapes Archive podcast. Please remember you can always find more information about the show and the individual episodes at our website, thetapesarchive.com. Until next time, the vault is closed.